born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. So take your Bible and turn there to the book of Acts. To the book of Acts, chapter 19. We're going through the book of Acts, and um, I love the book of Acts because it's a book of action. It's a book that tells us what the Christian life is like. It means that sometimes you witness in a place, and some people believe it, and some people don't. Sometimes everything goes wonderful. Sometimes nothing seems like it's going to work out. Paul got persecuted just about everywhere he went. But there was a couple places he'd go, and he'd spend some time there and get a lot of things accomplished. So look down in verse 8. In verse 8 of Acts chapter 19. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. So we know what he talked about. And the kingdom of God, remember, uh, Jesus said in chapter 3 of John, Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So it also says in Matthew chapter 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then all the other things to be taken care of. The kingdom of God and how to get into the kingdom of God, well, it takes the new birth. So you need to trust Christ as your Savior. So we know he preached the gospel. And that's what he did, persuading people. And he would even stand up to all the people that wanted to argue and disputing back and forth. And, of course, in the synagogue, they would try to perhaps use Scripture. And um, the Apostle Paul knew Scripture. And he uh, would refer to the Old Testament. Because many times in Paul's writings, you'll see it says, as it is written, as it is written. Well, that means as it is written means the Old Testament. And so the, um, the scriptures were used. Look in verse 9. When divers were hardened, in other words, different people were hardened. Now, the Bible talks about the sower who went forth to sow. And it says some of the seed will fall upon hard ground. And some people, they hardened their own heart. It means that uh, they choose not to believe. So it says... They hardened, and then it says, oh, next two words, believe not. It wasn't that they could not believe. They chose not to believe because they hardened themselves by refusing to believe the truth. Because it also says that he said there, he 
He disputed with them, and some, no doubt, were persuaded to believe the truth. Well, that's what we do. What was really interesting at camp, the very first night, we always try to give the gospel and an invitation. And there was probably seven or so that indicated they would trust Christ as saved first night. And then we had a couple days in there that we taught them many things about how we know the Bible is true. And so then on Wednesday night, I gave the gospel again and had two more trust the Lord. And so maybe nine indicated they would trust Christ as Savior. Now, sometimes there's people who trust the Lord and never raise their hand. And then sometimes some people raise their hand and they've already trusted the Lord. They just didn't understand the question. Oftentimes we'll have that same thing happen. Just because nobody raised their hand, that means nobody got saved. Doesn't mean that. And if somebody does raise their hand, doesn't mean somebody really got saved. Because they could have just raised their hand because they just want to say, hey, I'm trusting Christ as my Savior. Well, I was talking about for the first time. You've never done it before, but they may have already trusted the Lord. So you have that. It doesn't really matter. Does God know who gets saved? <laughs> God knows. And uh, that's why it's so wonderful. Just give the gospel. Trust the seed to do its work. So notice what else he says here. In verse 9, but when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples. Now, remember, he's got a mixed multitude. Some believe, some don't. You got to get those who want to grow and to mature, you got to get them separated from the others. Uh, I try to tell the, the college kids this, and I told the kids at camp. I said, I want you to know my overall purpose and goal. I says, the reason some of us are here at camp is because we took a time in our life and decided to go to Bible college. But what if we hadn't gone to Bible college? Okay. If I hadn't gone to Bible college, okay, I'd have never met Ray Stanford. I'd have never met Hank Lindstrom. And I can guarantee you, if I hadn't have, I probably wouldn't be here today. But have I made any kind of an impact in anybody's life because I did? Well, I hope to believe so. But whenever I left, I learned some things about their youth ministry, just like Hank did. We both sat underneath Ray. And we, we learned camps. And I remember one time when Hank wanted to have a camp, and uh, he had it over in Ormond Beach. And they took some kids over to Ormond Beach, and they got them a, a hotel right on the beach. And uh, they made some kind of a deal, and they had four or five kids in each room. And I don't know what they charged them, probably gave them a break, you know. And next thing you know, all these kids are standing in these rooms. Well, I brought some kids up from Colorado because Hank asked me if I'd speak at this camp. And this was sometime back, back in the 80s, I guess. And then um, they brought some kids down from up in uh, New York. So we all met down there and had a camp. I even told the Jim Tingen story there. Uh, but um, you got kids that come from different places, and, and sometimes kids pick on other kids. Well, one time I couldn't find my, um, one of my counselors. <laughs> they had handcuffed him to his bed. Kids up in New York <laughs> has handcuffs. They handcuffed the kid to the bed. He didn't get any breakfast, and then when he didn't show up for lunch, we thought, we ought to go find this guy. <laughs> and there he was, handcuffed to his bed, waiting for somebody to come and deliver him. And then another one, uh, up on the second floor, I think it was, 
and somebody had already then tied one of the kids and then and dropped them over the outside of the window, and he was hanging outside of the window, a sheet tied onto the bed and tied to, around his kids. I don't know if it was around his waist or something like that, but he couldn't get down and he couldn't get up. <laughs> he's, he's hanging from the window. You say, kids don't do that. Yeah, they do. You got all kind of problems you'll have. And um, one time they came to get me, and uh, that, was, that was bad news. They had a, a swimming pool outside, and they came and got me out of the towers, and they said, Yankee, we finally figured out who's been causing all the trouble. I said, well, well, good. I said, who is it? They said, you. I said, I ain't done anything to nobody. Well, there were kids that was, you know, going into different rooms and so forth, and and they would put saran wrap over the, you know, the, the toilet seat, and they, you know, put it down there. You know, just just different things. And and th- they would take uh, Vaseline and they would put it on the doorknobs and the handles and things like that. And they would just, and then they took the the top blanket and the sheet and they pulled it back and they would put baby powder all over the place. Well, you know, back in those days, you took a shower, man, you sweating like crazy. You jump into bed. <laughs> powder all over the place. You had to get and go take another bath. And, and so somebody short-sheeted the, you know, some of the shit. And I don't know why in the world some of them, they blame stuff like that on me. Well, I wouldn't do anything. <laughs> ah, it's, uh, it does get to be fun. You know, watching people, you know, squirm and try to figure out things. So, but uh, I didn't do the wrong. I didn't do the wrong. But um, I have an idea who did. But it wasn't me. And they just drug me out of my room and in my underwear. And uh, they, they, they drug me out in the hallway. And uh, they're going to put me on the elevator. About five or six of the guys. Mel Carbonell was one of them and Eddie Williamson. And they, they drug me out in the hallway and put me on the elevator. I said, fellas, you can't do that. I said, this is ungodly. This is wrong. I said, what are you going to do? We're going to take you down and throw you in the swimming pool. I said, you can't. You can't do this. I mean, a joke's a nut joke, but this has gone too far. And they... They were serious. <laughs> but while they had me out there, see, they were setting my alarm clock and putting it underneath the middle of my bed. Well, anyway, I got back in, and I was so tired. Next thing you know, the clock goes off about 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, and I can't find the clock because it was supposed to be right here. Last time I saw it, it was right here. Then it's ringing, and I can't find the clock. I'm climbing all over trying to find the clock. <laughs> and lo and behold, I had to get up, turn on the light, and it was underneath the bed. So they had their little... They were scared. I can't believe people would do stuff like that. But it's always a lot of, lot of fun. And we've learned that over the years, wear the kids out. You take them to camp, wear them out. Where they ain't got no energy to do anything that would be detrimental to the campers, I mean the counselors or the, the speakers. And so um, even at camp this year, they wore the kids out. Of course, the, the leaders, they were dead. Because they, they had to go in order to wear them out. And so... Um, it was interesting. A lot of fun. And um, you talk about precious memories. <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing how certain things I can remember and other things, I don't remember that at all. And people tell me things and I have no recollection of it. But there are certain things I remember as clear as a bell. But anyway, the part that's so important is separating the kids. This is why we want to separate the kids from the things of the world. So we take them to camp. They don't have TV. They can't go anywhere. Somebody says, I'm going to go home. Well, go ahead. It's only about 100 miles <laughs> to the expressway. <laughs> but uh, there's no place to go. And then, you know, there's mosquitoes out there, and there could be alligators out there and snakes out there. We scare them half to death. 
And so uh, nobody wants to run away. But, um, and we're too far away from them to call our parents, come and get me. When it was right over here, they'd call mom, get, come and get me, I'm homesick. Bunch of babies. And they need to, you know, grow up. But look what he says. He departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. In other words, it's, I guess you had a, a Bible school. You had a place to separate them and teach them and train them and uh, do more for them. Because the people who don't want to know, all right, let them go. Take the ones you got. That's why I always like to have as many kids go to camp as possible, but I take whatever we get. And whatever we get, we do a good job with them. Because you can't always think, well, well, if we only had, if we only had. No, you ain't got that. You got to do what you can with what you got. And so um, realize you could have 500 kids at camp and four or five that will wind up serving the Lord. Or you could have 50 at camp and have 20, 30 that will dedicate their lives to the Lord. So you leave that to the Lord. You just do what you can. How many did Jesus have around him all the time? Well, he had a main big body of 12, but a smaller group was Peter, James, and John. Look how much time he spent with just those three. And they went to Bible college for three and a half years. But you see, there's a time when you've got to separate them from the rest and not try to teach them. That's the reason when you want to have college and so forth. But I'll say more about that later. Look at verse 10. And this continued by the space of two years. So this was a two-year Bible Institute. So that all that which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So it did pay to have a school, train the disciples, get them separated from other people, and then turn them loose. And... um, you can either do the work of 10 men or try to get 10 men to do the work. And so that's why you want to train some other people to, to do what needs to be done. You take, for example, I uh, was in Israel and we had Jesse speak and Peter speak. I uh, remember when I first came here, uh, Peter was sitting right down here on the, in front of the church here. But he wasn't doing anything. Until one day, I didn't have a song later. I don't know what happened. I don't even remember. Might have been on a Sunday night probably. And I walked down here and I saw Bruce Sauls. And I said, Bruce, I says, why don't you lead the singing tonight? He says, not me, not me. I, I don't, I'm not a song. He says, but he can sing. <laughs> he pointed to Peter Amato. I said, Peter, I said, lead the singing. And he came up here and he's had the job ever since. Now, did the Lord lead him that? Could have, because I sure didn't know he could sing. And, uh, but look how the Lord, because he committed himself, he, he took the responsibility. And whatever, whatever he does, he wants to do a good job. And he works hard at what he does. And he can do so many different things. And I thought, we are so blessed to have somebody of his caliber here in the ministry. And yet, he could make three, four times the amount of money he makes it out there in a regular job. Because the guy is talented. He's gifted. But aren't you glad that he has dedicated himself to do what he does here? And, uh, and you take, for example, even Jesse. Remember, Jesse was just a kid going to camp and ranch. But whenever we moved Peter out of the ranch, Jesse took over. And now he has developed. You listen to Jesse speak now. It's a lot of different than when he spoke first time five or six years ago. 
and whenever he's learning how to speak in ranch. But all that speaking in ranch and so forth, and having to prepare little sermons and forth, going to college, learning the scriptures. Now he's, he's maturing. He's getting better and better and better. Well, see, somebody else said, well, he's he just basically. No, he's been trained. He's been trained. And that's what happens when every person decides to do what God wants them to do. God opens up not only just more opportunities, but because of their faithfulness, God can teach them more. God will give you wisdom you didn't have before. God can do that. And so, um, but it's because you separate yourself and decide this is what I want to do, and you got to make up your mind. And this is what Paul's talking about, and it does make a difference. Look there now in verse 11. Verse 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. God did this. Now, why did he do miracles? Why do miracles? Well, he did miracles, as he says in the book of John in chapter 20. And uh, God says that Jesus did these miracles so that people would believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And by believing in him, they may have life through his name. So the reason for the miracles is to get people to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be and that you ought to trust him. Paul is now blessed by God to do special miracles, things that, you know, you're not supposed to be able to do. Now, you've got people today like Benny Hinn, and uh, they've had them over the years, all kinds of people, and all they're doing is making merchandise of people. that's, That's for money. Those people are not really being cured of anything. It's a sham. And, and a lot of people see it and they know it. But there's people that are plain ignorant. Now, you'll note that most of these big meetings they have, they go to some foreign country where they're poor. They don't have anything. And so they're gullible. They don't know the truth. They can't discern. And they'll get them together. And they'll have thousands and thousands and thousands And they'll do anything you ask them to do. And they do. I've been to India several times. I've been to Egypt. I've been to Mexico. I've I've seen it. And um, all I want to give is just the gospel. Just to get them to trust Christ as Savior. But they manipulate it. But now notice what he says here. In verse 11 of Acts chapter 19. God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Now, not everybody is able to do miracles. Now, hold your place right here and just look over there in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews and chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And you'll notice that here in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now, we're saved from the penalty of sin, and we are being saved from the power of sin in our life, and one day we will be saved from the very presence of sin by leaving this world. But when we realize that as a child of God, God has given to us a wonderful message, a wonderful salvation. So we're supposed to take this message into all the world. But a lot of people are letting this slip from their mind as though that's not really that important. 
that, that means somebody else. You know, that's only referring to the, you know, the missionary or the evangelist, the pastor. Okay, how did the pastor get to be a pastor? How did the missionary get to be a missionary? How did that evangelist get to be an evangelist? He was saved like everybody else, wasn't he? So somewhere along the line, he didn't get a special call like God says, Hello down there. No. They read the Bible. They studied the Bible. And they usually come up with the conclusion, if I don't do it, who is? Why is somebody else more responsible than me? How do I know that's not what God wants me to do? A lot of times we just do whatever we want and call it the will of God. That's the easiest way. Because if I don't want to do it, God's not leading me. And I, and I don't want to do it in the energy of the flesh. Boy, have I heard that. Like the old man really wants to win a lot of people to the Lord. God gave us a command. Whenever they come up here and they light the candles, how soon should that candle start giving off light? Tomorrow. When it's lit. Or when you receive the light of the gospel and know you have eternal life, when do you think God wants you to start giving off light? Well, let somebody else do it. That's what most people do. As long as it's not me. And I tried to find a loophole in the Bible. <laughs> well, it means everybody but me. Because I had other things I wanted to do. I got a life. I got a wife. I got kids. I mean, why should I do it? And so... You'll find out there's, there's people that are always trying to find an escape route to get away from that responsibility. And that's why they like to go to a church where there's a multitude of people so they can just get lost. And if they don't do it, well, look at all the people. If I don't show up, who cares? Nobody knows me anyway. Because, see, if you go to a small church, you'll have about 15, 20 people that really know you. You go to a big church, you'll have about 15, 20 people that really know you. That doesn't change. Because your circle still stays the same size. I don't care where you go. Don't increase that much more. And so, but there's a, a way of running. But somewhere along the line, we try to say something that's going to get you to, I love sound effects. Stop and get you to pay attention to what God says. But notice what he says here in verse 2. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast... And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. In other words, those who obeyed or disobeyed got what they deserved. <laughs> he says, well, what about us? How shall we escape? How shall we escape what? Well, what's mentioned right there in the verse 2 before it? The disobedient received a just recompense of reward. You're going to receive what you earned. You see, as a child of God, we have a choice. We can make a choice. Obedience, disobedience. That's how easy it is. That's what it comes down to. Either we obey the Lord or we disobey the Lord. And so he says, how shall we escape if we, God's children, neglect so great salvation? We're already saved, so we're not talking about us being lost, earning salvation. But it's the salvation that's been given to us. Now, as he says here, which the first began to be spoken by their Lord, was confirmed unto us, the apostles, by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders 
and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So there's Christ, and he gave the word to the apostles. The apostles, by signs and miracles, got others to believe what they said. Christ did miracles so that the apostles would believe what he said. And so if we neglect this great salvation that's been given to us, what's going to happen to us? So that's why you read in the book of uh, Hebrews in chapter 10, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth and you don't do anything about it, you don't witness you don't serve God. You don't dedicate your life to the Lord. In other words, there's no change in your life. doesn't have to be. But there's going to be chastisement. That's why in chapter 12, here it comes. The chastening hand of God. So, yes, they did miracles. But the miracles were to get people to believe on Christ. Uh, hold your place here in Acts and look there in the Gospel of John chapter 20. John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and look in verse 30. This is on page 1144. And you'll notice there in verse 30, he says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Man, I'd love to know what they were. Whatever you can't know is what I want to know. It's just like putting a... Cookies on the top shelf. And then tell your kids, don't look in that third cookie jar. Don't look in that third. Now, which one do you think they're going to want to look in? The third cookie jar. There's a reason. Because that's just the way we are. We want to do what you tell me. You can't do. And so, I was told that the best way to get an, an old person, you know, like a wife... An old person to get something done is tell them, uh, you know, because of your age, you probably can't do that. Well, what did you just do to that guy? Now he's got to, I'll show you. I'll show you I'm not that old man. Well, he does and he dies. <laughs> but anyway, look in verse 31. But these are written that ye get this, might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So these are written so that you would believe. And so the reason for miracles is so that people will trust Christ as Savior. Do you believe that God is giving guys like Benny Hinn the power to do miracles and then he gives them a false gospel? No. If you don't have a clear gospel, God didn't give you power to do miracles. He's not going to. The reason for the miracles is so that people will believe. Anyway, go back there to the book of Acts. And look what he was able to do. He says in verse 12, So that from his body were brought unto him sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseased departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them just because he had a handkerchief. I've heard people get on the radio and say, put your hand on the radio for contact. You want some contact and feel the spirit, put your hand in the back of that radio. <laughs> I guarantee you, you'll have a feeling. But 
in verse 13, then certain of the vagabond Jews and gypsies, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjured thee by Jesus whom Paul preached. In other words, they're trying to get in on the goodies. And if it's working for Paul, hey, it'll work for us. So these are the bad guys. So the bad guys are not going to cast out evil spirits by, by saying, in Jesus' name. And you'll hear a lot of people talking, in Jesus' name. Okay, well, you can do it in Jesus' name. But that doesn't mean you know Jesus. Were you ever told that you must confess Christ before men to be saved? Were you warned that if you refused to confess Christ, he would not confess you before the Father? Just what does that mean? Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book or request by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound, and we will be changed, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me